Welcome to the New Vine Church podcast. Hey, this is a special episode today where we're going to be hearing from two people from the organization called IJM, that's International Justice Mission, an organization who works so hard and long to end slavery around the world. Uh, we celebrate it as a church this special day called Freedom Sunday over the weekend, where we learn about the work of IJM and figure out how it is that we can be a part of the solution. There was an interview that was recorded uh, by their CEO, Steve Baird, and also a message preached by Dave Grunenboom, who is their church partnerships director. We really hope you enjoy this episode. If you'd like to find out how you can be a part of IJM's work and ending slavery around the world, uh, please visit their website at IJM, or you can go to the New Vine Church website, follow the links through to our local page, and you can find out more about IJM there. God bless you and enjoy the episode. It's a great joy to have with us now IJM Australia CEO, Steve Baird. Steve, thanks for joining us for Freedom Sunday. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, DJ. Steve, you left a, a really successful corporate career about the middle of last year to join IJM. What was it about the cause of modern slavery that drew you from those jobs to this one? Yeah, it took me by surprise. Like a lot of people during the pandemic, I was in the airline industry and we got hit really hard. So I needed to examine, you know, what could be next for me and spent a couple of weeks praying about that. And, you know, on the final day where three of us were uh, praying, um, I got a text message from a friend saying, look, IJM, you know, is looking for a CEO. I think you do a good job. And at first I was hesitant. I thought, I'm not sure about the not-for-profit world. You know, where the fund's going to be there. You know, how's this going to work? But then I started to look into it more deeply. And, um, you know, my wife had actually come across IJM and said, look, what they do is so effective in driving system change. Uh, they're very good. Um, and also I just learned about the problem myself and thought, wow, this is so much bigger and broader and in need of more urgent attention than I realised. I could really do something here. So since you've been at iGEM, what have you learnt that's had the greatest effect on you? Yeah, shortly after I joined, I was invited to a closing down service for our office in Chiang Mai in uh, northern Thailand and you know it was a mixed emotion service because we were finishing up 20 years of work there so you know a lot of the team were proud of what had happened but also sad because you know we weren't going to be there but ultimately um, what it meant was IJM went into Chiang Mai when the sex trafficking of uh, you know young young children was prolific in that region um, by the time we left it had actually virtually become non-existent so um, 20 years of helping them to get their citizenship, working on strengthening the justice systems, um, it had its impact. So it's terrific to see entire communities transformed. Yeah, indeed. What is it about IJM's approach that's proven so effective? And can you maybe give us a, a picture of some of the things that IJM does uh, to combat modern slavery in all of its various forms? Yeah, there's, there's, there's four things that we, we, we focus on. Um, so, um, you know, rescuing people from slavery. And we've, done, we've rescued over 70,000 people from slavery since we have been around. Um, restoration. Then there's a really important process once they're out of um, slavery to be restored. So we have aftercare workers, um, 
uh, providing a whole range of practical um, and you know psychological needs to help restore them back to dignity and get them back mm. on their feet. Um, there's also the restrain part, which is um, the people that have committed the crimes and kept them in slavery, we actually will follow prosecutions through to ensure they're held accountable for their crimes. But then the fourth one, which is you know really important, is um, the you know the justice system strengthening, and that is we don't want to be in the business of res- rescuing. We want to stop slavery before it happens. Right. So, how can we? You know, we have lawyers, we have investigators. Um, how can we work with local government to ensure their justice system is strong enough to deter criminals from doing slavery in the first place? And that sounds like a, a, a really strategic response to kind of cut it off at the roots or to enforce the laws that are already there, strengthen the courts, root out corruption, those kinds of things. It seems like a, a really particularly effective part of your model. But for many of us in Australia, last 18 months or so, uh, our bandwidth has all been taken up just with pandemic, yes. you know, lockdowns, vaccination rates and debates and things. Uh, but slavery hasn't gone into lockdown, has it? No, DJ, probably the reverse in the sense it's there's a bunch of components out there which make it right for acceleration. Mm -hmm. Um, If you think about um, uh, children not being at schools or um, uh, migration movements, um, somewhere like the Philippines where we, um, the slavery we focus on there is the online sexual exploitation of children. Mm -hmm. We've had an environment where there's been loss of jobs uh, there's been lockdowns, which have meant, you know, people held within homes. Um, so we have seen things like um, tip-offs and complaints on the rise uh, for these kind of crimes. So, yeah, unfortunately, the pandemic has created um, the wrong kind of get- conditions for what we're trying to eradicate. Yeah, so IGM now is the world's biggest anti-slavery organisation, but the problem is obviously bigger still. What's the single most helpful thing that new viners can do, or those watching this uh, can do to help and be part of this fight that you're leading against slavery in all its forms? Yeah, well, well DJ, I would say New Vine Church has actually been a great partner to us, you know, even before today. Um, you know, engaging in these Freedom Sundays, um, you know, the financial support we've received from individuals, the prayer. Um, so, you know, we, we consider this a great partnership and are grateful for this support because if you think about something like a justice system transformation, that takes time. I mean, we, we, we pray for cases every day and we had a, a case in Bangalore, Bangalore where conviction had started in 2008 um, and had just been sent, you know, it just been actually reached sentencing and conviction, you know, 13 years later. So, our ask of people would be consider becoming a freedom partner and that's providing, you know, $35 per month or more. Um, It means we can kind of see these cases through and be in for the long haul when we've got that funding coming in each month that that we know about. Yeah. Brilliant. And we'll be encouraging people, giving people the details uh, about how to become a freedom partner a little bit later on uh, and throughout the service. But thanks for pointing us towards that. It does sound like an effective way of being part of what many of us uh, don't have the expertise to join in on ourselves directly. Uh, When I worked in international development myself some years ago and travelled a lot to some of the poorest places on the planet, 
I found that there was always one encounter, one story uh, that just etched itself on my memory and kind of broke me a little bit. Uh, what story has had that kind of effect on you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So it's actually one of my colleagues. Um, uh, and that he's um, in our Chennai office, um, a lawyer there by the name of Raja. Uh, now his his stories, you know, very interesting and touching. But he he was a young boy, only about ten years old, when his sister got married, uh, and to pay off the debt, his parents ended up in um, a brick kiln, mm-hmm. um, you know, to put put the hours back in for the debt. But they were trapped there, and so all of a sudden, Raja with his younger brother uh, was fending for himself because his parents had disappeared, and for six months he did such an earnest job. And I think they were about, you know, 10 and 12 and 10, which is sort of similar age to my boys. And I, I could picture my oldest mm. son and Raja and just how earnest he was in looking after things. Yeah. But after six months, he missed his parents too much. So he, he ended up actually working in the brick kiln as well. And, you know, um, eventually he was trapped. He was there seven days a week working 19 hours a day. Mm. And didn't see sunlight for two years, you know. And mm. um, he actually ended up becoming one of IJM's first rescues in the early 2000s. Right. And, um, you know, he's since gone on to actually train up to be a lawyer um, and is now working for IJM and advocating that, uh, you know, no one should go through the experience that he, he went through as, as a young mm. boy. That's an encouraging uh, story of transformation, though, isn't it, from those terrible circumstances? Uh, I mean, you've touched on some of the different forms that slavery can take, and uh, it's obviously a big problem. Uh, More slaves in the world today, I believe, than there was in the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. Yes. What is it that gives you hope, Steve? Yeah, look, I think what it is that that gives me hope is... um, you know, it's people like Raja, it's knowing that we can actually see whole communities transform mm. uh, like we saw in Chiang Mai. Um, it's also just knowing that, um, uh, you know, like we recently ran some benefit dinners and there was um, a survivor who came to speak um, by the name of Ruby. She's now uh, 24 and that's the sort of pseudonym she goes by. Right. Uh, you know, hearing the details of what she went through for a couple of years is, um, you know, it's shocking what, what mm. someone could be asked to do in front of a, a camera. And, um, you know, Ruby will tell the story herself, but she, after two years, she um, cried out to God, God, if you are really there, do something about the, the, this situation. And it was the very next day that IJM turned up, and she she oh. was she was rescued. Now Ruby, Ruby, it's deep, deep trauma from these circumstances, but she's been building up strength and courage to the point where she was speaking to three hundred people at a, at a benefit dinner in Sydney um, just a few months ago, not wanting anyone to go through what she did. So I think what gives me a hope is knowing communities transform. 
people that have been in the darkest situations can still maintain their faith in God and stand up and advocate that it won't happen again. Steve, we so appreciate what you and your team do and thank you so much for providing ways for us to partner with you in that tremendous work. And thanks for your time today. My pleasure, DJ. And I look forward to being with you in person next time. God bless. Yeah, you too. God bless. Well, as we gather together today, parts of our country are in lockdown. People are working from home. They're homeschooling their children. They're unable to visit loved ones. They're only shopping for essentials. They're wearing masks and we're queuing up for the jab in record numbers. Now, obviously we're doing all of this to protect ourselves. We need this protection because the virus is our enemy. Worldwide, 190 million people have been infected and over 4 million people have died. In Australia, we've had almost 50,000 cases and nearly 1,000 deaths. And the federal and state governments are spending billions uh, to get on top of the effects of this pandemic. Now, why are they doing that? They're doing it because there's a battle going on. And when there's a battle going on, you need protection. And with today being Freedom Sunday, we need to talk about a more sinister battle, an insidious form of oppression that we rarely see, an unseen battle of horrific proportions, where millions of people are being attacked day after day after day. And one of those people is Dom. As an impoverished farmer in rural Cambodia, Dom battled to provide for his family, even just to put meals on the table. And one day a visitor came to Dom's village and made an offer that Dom couldn't refuse. Dom could travel to Thailand, he could work on a fishing boat, and he could make more money than he ever would in Cambodia. And so Dom agreed, um, hoping that it would open up a new door to a new reality for his family. So Dom reached Thailand, but the moment he got on the boat, everything changed. Dom came to the horrible realization that he'd been sold into forced labor slavery. So what is forced labor slavery? Well, it's where vulnerable people are promised work and they're trapped and they're trafficked into numerous unskilled industries. Forced labor isn't just poor employment conditions. Forced labor is a criminal enterprise. Dom wasn't paid. He could never leave. He was forced to work sometimes 19, 20 hours a day. And that boat traveled thousands of kilometers out to sea, well beyond the reach of help or hope. Dom was trapped in horrendous conditions. He had to work even when he was sick. Any mistake would draw a beating from the master and some were even thrown overboard as punishment. So Dom lived in constant terror and fear. He didn't know whether he would make it to the next day. He didn't know whether he would ever see his family again. And this unspeakable torture continued for six long years. 
Now, we might be horrified to realize that it's not just Dom. There are 40 million people trapped in slavery today, even as we speak. And they're not just on fishing boats. You'll find them cutting wood. You'll find them in rock quarries, in brick kilns, in snack factories, in silk production. This kind of slavery easily taints some of the things that might even find their way into our own markets and into our own homes. Things like hardware, uh, clothing, chocolate, uh, tuna, fish products, technology. And then there's the abhorrent reality of online sexual exploitation of children, or OSEC, as we call it in the Philippines, where Australians, Australians, are virtually leading the way when it comes to the consumption of this horrible material. Now, this kind of slavery and oppression is one of Satan's tools to destroy precious human lives, people created in the image of God. See, we're not just fighting bad people or broken systems. This is a battle of spiritual proportions. And so when we stand against this, when we stand against this as the people of God, we're actually engaging in a form of spiritual warfare. That's why on Freedom Sunday, we're thinking about what Paul writes in Ephesians 6. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, it's true. When we read that phrase, the devil's schemes, it, here in Ephesians 6, it refers to more than uh, matters of injustice and slavery and violence against those who are poor. Absolutely. But we also know, don't we, that right from the start, right from Eden, the devil has been out to destroy men and women and boys and girls. And that's why in that additional passage in Mark 5, um, the demon-possessed man would live day and night amongst the tombs. He'd be crying out. He'd be cutting himself with stones. And, and, and so this is the thing. The devil will use any scheme he can to destroy people created in the image of God. And what could be more horrific than a global industry worth $150 billion per annum an industry specifically designed to destroy the lives of others. An industry that Dom was caught up and trapped and enslaved in, locked up for six years on the high seas. And right now, with COVID and the pandemic the way it is, people are more vulnerable than they ever have been before. It's harder for investigators to get out and find those people who are trapped and enslaved. It's harder for courts to meet and to hear the cases. It's harder to put violent criminals behind bars. Really, friends, the need has never been greater. 
And that's why right now God is calling us. He's calling us, his people, into this battle. He's calling the church to take a stand to end slavery. He's calling you to stand up for the helpless. He's calling you to speak up for those whose voice can't be heard. And it's nothing new. When you read through the scriptures, you understand that God has always called his people to stand up for the poor and the widow and the fatherless and the oppressed. And so today, if we're going to step into this battle, we're going to need protection. We're going to need the armor of God. We're going to need his complete provision for all we're called to do in this fight. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Ephesians 6 from verse 13. Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And when you hear that, it it couldn't be clearer. God wants us to put his armor on and to take a stand. But here's, here's a question. How do we know that we're supposed to use the armor of God in this battle against slavery and injustice? Well, we know it because that's what God himself does. Back in Isaiah's day, the people of Israel thought it was okay to just concentrate on worship, just concentrate on being the people of God and and ignore justice. Ignore what was happening to widows and fatherless and, and the oppressed in their own community. People were crying out for justice amongst the people of God, but God's own people were doing nothing. How could that happen? How could it be that when God had called his own people to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him, how could they just let injustice and violence rule their streets? And when God saw what was happening, he was livid. He was so angry that Isaiah uses some of the most powerful language that we ever hear from God's mouth. In Isaiah 59, we read, truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes prey themselves. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. 
He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You see, God sees injustice, sees his people ignoring injustice around them. And he's so appalled. He says, I'm so appalled that that my people are doing nothing to, to, to address this. So I'm going to put this armor on myself and I'm going to get the job done. Now, remember, Paul was a renowned Pharisee. He had memorized the entire Old Testament and much, much more, committed it all to memory. And he would have had those gross injustices of Isaiah 59 running through his mind as he penned these words about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And so today, as we are called to be imitators of God, we as the church today can only take our stand against injustice as we wear the armor that God has provided. And it's a good thing because we can never win this battle in our own strength. We'll never win our own victory. We battle in the in the power and the protection of Jesus, who in his cross and resurrection has already won the decisive victory. Listen again um, in Ephesians one. His incomparably great power. For us who believe is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. As we engage in the battle to free those who are captives, as we meet the waves of injustice that are coming towards us, as we seek to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, God says to us, put on my armor, church. Church, take your stand against the devil's schemes. And we will stand. In Jesus' resurrection power, we will stand and will fight. And in his name, we will see victory. In his armor, we will set captives free. Captives like Dom. One day, the fishing vessel that Dom was trapped on was seized by Indonesian authorities. Dom and the other men from Cambodia uh, were allowed to return home. So Dom returned home and to his horror, he found that his own son had been deceived and trafficked by the very same people who had deceived him. Now, in time, the Cambodian police introduced Dom to international justice mission. We'd been working in the region to break down some of those trafficking rings. And as IJM interviewed Dom and others, 
we discovered that a network of traffickers had been operating in that area for nearly a decade. Authorities eventually arrested three key players and with IJM's support, Dom testified in court and those three traffickers were convicted. And thankfully, his son was released and returned to home as well. And Dom later confided how proud he was to stand up against the injustice that had been perpetrated on him and on others. He felt it was the first time in his life that he'd been able to do this. And so today he can live in freedom and he can see his family growing up around him in safety. IJM continues to build bridges uh, between law enforcement entities in the region. We continue to dismantle trafficking networks across Thailand and Cambodia and Myanmar. And by the following year, we had seen eight additional convictions of traffickers who had abused people like Dom and his son and others. So it's true. Our, our struggle is, is not against mere flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of evil, of destruction, spiritual forces of injustice. But in God's armour, we can join the battle. In God's armour, we'll stand for those who are bowed down and oppressed. In God's armour, we'll speak up as Jesus' own spirit works through us. We will speak up for those whose voice cannot be heard. So today, people of God, stand. Stand as one church united to end slavery. And one of the most effective ways that you can do that is to support our mission by becoming an IJM Freedom Partner. You can just follow the QR code on the screen or you can fill out the card that you've been given in your church service. And here's the thing, when you become an IJM Freedom Partner, you actually become part of the rescue team. As an IJM Freedom Partner, you'll be praying regularly. You'll receive a brief email update telling you about all the tremendous things that IJM is doing all around the world to end slavery. As an IJM Freedom Partner, you'll be giving monthly. Your monthly gift of $31 or more is the most concrete step you can take to end slavery right now. Every gift, every freedom partner allows us to stand up against the powerful of the world who will prey on the vulnerable. And friends, it's going to take an army. It's going to take God's army, a movement of churches all clothed in God's armour to lead this nation to become a, a, a leader in ending slavery around the world. Become a freedom partner with us today. And if you're already a freedom partner, you can use the same link uh, just to give a, a one-off special Freedom Sunday gift to IJM. And as we've mentioned, the need has never been greater. So as we make these commitments, let's stand 
together. Let's put on God's protective armor. Let's fight as one church united to end slavery. Let's stand seeking justice and freedom for all those who are oppressed by slavery right now. And let's do it all to the glory of our great God who hears the cry of the oppressed. Let's do it all for the glory of our Saviour Jesus who has rescued us and won our freedom.